2 Timothy chapter 2 will be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Amen? January 17th, 2013, Aaron and Melissa Klein, who were the owners of a bakery called Sweet Cakes in Gresham, Oregon, were standing in their store, and a mother and her daughter walked in. They were familiar with the mother and daughter. The daughter had been there a number of times. They knew who she was. They, they were regular clients, but this time the mother wanted to order a wedding cake for her daughter. And when the clients found out that her daughter was marrying another woman, they declined to make the wedding take. Well, a complaint was filed with the state of Oregon, and the clients responded to the complaint saying, you know, look, we're Christians. We don't want to participate in this wedding. We have been happy to serve them as clients who walked in the door, but we feel that being part of the wedding ceremony is an endorsement of that, and it's against our beliefs. Well, everything was fairly quiet for a week or two. The media picked up the story on February 1st, 2013, and immediately there were demonstrations outside the bakery. And immediately following that, there was hate mail, there were boycotts, there were petitions, there were phone calls in the middle of the night, stones thrown as people rode by the house, all sorts of things were going on. Well, the bakery closed in less than six months. And they moved the business into their house, so they didn't lose everything, but they had to abandon the storefront. It had just become too much trouble, and there was too much damage occurring to the store. In July of 2015, the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries ordered the Kleins to pay $135,000 in fines to the couple that had felt offended by not, uh, them not deciding not to build the cake. And they appealed, uh, but the appeal took a long time a long legal process, and in December of 2017, they lost their appeal. Meantime, the clients lost their business, uh, they had their lives threatened, they were labeled as haters, and they will very likely go bankrupt. They started a GoFundMe page to help with their legal expenses. GoFundMe shut them down. There wasn't much of an explanation as to why they just shut them down. So they're very likely going to go bankrupt. So. I, I've been telling you that the ground is shifting beneath our feet. Things are changing. Now, I, I don't want to get into a long 
discussion over whether or not they should have baked the cake. I have a very definite opinion on that, and I'd be happy to share it with you if you want to talk to me afterwards. But we, we need to hear what's happening here. These are the sounds of battle. Uh, now, it's a little bit beyond the horizon. We don't live in Oregon. We don't very, know very many people that live there. Uh, we feel fairly well removed from this sort of thing. But there's flashes on the horizon. There's booms on, uh, echoing through the air. And, and this is the sound of battle. This is the sound of the environment that we're in. We are in a war. We're in a war. And brothers and sisters, you and I are the soldiers. We're the soldiers in the army of God. And the question we've got to answer today is how are we going to fight this war? What does it look like? I don't think the answer is as, as uh, clear as it may seem. So how will you fight this battle? Now, in our passage today, we see that Paul is familiar with this fight. He's immersed in it. He's right in the middle of it. He's in prison. He's about to be tortured. He's about to be executed. Uh, he's handing the reins of his ministry over to his young protege, Timothy. And he's, he's tried to build Timothy up. He's talked to Timothy in chapter 1 about the evidence of his faith, about the, the source of his faith. But he's also mentioned to Timothy that there's a danger in believing in Jesus Christ. There's a danger in being part of the church. Now, in chapter 2, he's going to call Timothy a soldier. He's going to label him a soldier. And Paul is going to state the rules of engagement. Now, for those of you that were not in the military, let me explain what the rules of engagement are. Uh, before, before the military goes into a battle, the, the, the generals, the admirals, the leaders, uh, and the, the whole command structure sits down and decides how the battle's going to go. And they, they list the rules of engagement. The rules of engagement will tell the army, the navy, how they're going to fight. When they're going to shoot. When they're not going to shoot. Who they're going to shoot. Yeah, where they're going to go and how they're going to get there. So Paul is going to give Timothy the rules of engagement. He's going to tell him how to fight. He's going to tell him how to walk out his calling as a soldier in the army of God. So in today's passage, we'll see the do's and don'ts of fighting in verses 1 through 7. And uh, we'll see in, in those verses, we're going to see five actions that we should take as believers living in the environment that we're in. In verses 18, uh, 8 through 13, we'll see the whys and wherefores. Paul doesn't just say, do this and, and, and don't do that. He, he gives a good reason why, and there's some encouragement with that. So we'll see two things that we should be encouraged with in verses 18, 8 through 13. So our sermon today is called Good Soldier. Uh, this is part three of our ongoing series in 2 Timothy, Guard the Gospel. Let's take a look at these do's and don'ts. Now, remember, at the end of chapter 1, uh, Paul had told Timothy there was danger, uh, that people would abandon him. Paul's in Rome. He's going to be executed. Almost everybody's left him. So he wants to emphasize to Timothy that what I'm calling you to, the ministry that you're in down in Ephesus, and, and the thing that I'm about to turn the reins over to, to you in, uh, it can be dangerous. You could lose everything. You could lose all of your friends. You could lose your, your job. You can lose your family. But he doesn't want to leave Timothy there uh, because there's hope. So he talks about Onesiphorus, uh, who is a blessing. Uh, Onesiphorus came to Rome and, 
and he looked for Paul and he found him and he ministered to Paul. So he kind of ends on this, this upbeat and uh, he wants to look, he's preparing Timothy and, and now we see in these first seven verses that he's been talking about himself and the things he's gone through and now he speaks directly to Timothy. And he's used his own personal situation to uh, challenge and to encourage Timothy at the same time. And so verse 1 of chapter 2 starts with the word you. He said, Timothy, listen up. I'm talking directly to you. So Paul wants Timothy to look around him. He wants to count his blessings. Now, that's what Paul just showed Timothy how he's doing. He's saying, look how I live. Um, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he's telling Timothy, look at what I'm doing. Learn from what I'm doing. This is how you're going to conduct your ministry. I, I'm in a hard time, but I'm not focusing on the hard time. I'm focusing on the good things that God is doing. God got me through. God has a home for me. God has encouraged me by the people he's left with me. I'm not as worried about the people who have left me as the people who have stayed with me. I count them a blessing. So Paul's showing Timothy how to do this. And the first thing that Paul calls Timothy to do is to be strengthened. Now we need to look at this carefully. Because to be strengthened in what? To be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's two things going on here. Number one, he wants Timothy to understand that the grace is a gift. We know that this is unmerited favor. Timothy hasn't done anything to earn the grace. He's not worthy of the grace. God has given it to him as a gift. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, be strengthened in the gifts that you receive. Be strengthened in the blessings that you have. Don't, don't dote on the bad situations that you're in. Don't dote on your circumstances. Dote on the good things that God is doing for you because God is bringing you along. He's got meaning. He's got purpose to you. And and we need to be careful of this because when we get in a bad situation and Paul's in a really bad situation, Timothy's headed for one. He probably doesn't realize it totally yet. But when we get in a bad situation, we can be overwhelmed by our circumstances. They can be so overwhelming. They can be so daunting that we can focus on the circumstances alone. And we can allow the circumstances to dictate our spiritual demeanor. Paul's saying don't do that. Let your blessings dictate your spiritual demeanor. Let your blessings dictate how you're going to relate to the people around you. Let your blessings dictate how you're going to respond to your situation. So, in that level, Paul is saying, pay attention to your blessings. Count your blessings. Don't count your hardships. But on another level, he wants Timothy to be strong in grace. Timothy's received tremendous grace. It's unmerited. Yeah, he, he has not done anything to gain God's favor. It's come because of who God is. And so he wants Timothy to be strong in how he received that grace so that Timothy can be a dispenser of the same type of grace. Be strong in how you express grace. You have received grace. You've received these blessings. Be strong in how you dispense it. So if Paul's first to do is to be strengthened in Christ, in his grace. His second to-do is to entrust. Now, this is the Greek word parathetome, okay? Uh, it, it, it's another one of those words that we can translate as one word, but it means a lot more. 
And just to make it simple, it means to give something to someone for their sake. To give something to someone for their sake. So he tells Timothy to entrust, to give something to some people for their sake. To give what? To give those things that Paul has taught Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to teach others the things that Paul has taught Timothy. And what Paul's doing here is he's setting a template for discipleship, saying, here's how you're going to bring people along. He uses the same word that he used in the first letter to Timothy, so Timothy would know what he's talking about. He's familiar with the verbiage here. He's familiar with the nomenclature. But uh, he uses the same word when he entrusted to Timothy. He said this in First, in first Timothy 1.18. This charge I entrust to you. I'm, I'm giving you this charge for your own sake, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. He said, take the things that I gave you so that you can be a good soldier so that you can be a good soldier in the army of God, that you can wage good warfare and give those and trust those to others for their sake. Paul taught Timothy the gospel. Now he wants Timothy to teach others so that they can, in turn, teach even more. And this is how the church is going to grow. Paul's second to do is to entrust to disciple. Now, Paul's third to do is a tough one. He calls Timothy to share in suffering. Now, every time I come across this, I, there, there's something in the back of my mind that goes, oh no, don't, don't, don't call me to suffer again, please. I've seen enough of this. Can we get on to the good stuff? Okay, can, can we get on to peace and joy and rest and that sort of thing? No, no more suffering. But here it is, and this is in verse 3. Now, th- in, in this case, it has to be taken in the context of Paul calling Timothy a soldier. And, and if we just think about it for a little bit, we'll understand exactly what Paul's saying. Because soldiers expect hardship. Now, how many of you people have been in the military? Let me ask you this. Did any one of you sign up for the military thinking, you know, I need a break, I need some rest, uh, I'd like to sit around and do nothing for a while, so I think I'll join the Army, Navy, Marines, or Air Force? No, no. When you sign up for the military, you have an expectation. You know, whether you sign up for two years, whether you sign up for, two, for four years, you, you expect things are going to happen. You expect that you're going to have to train. You expect that the training is going to be hard. Maybe you don't know a whole lot about basic training, but you know enough to know that it's not easy, that you're signing up for something that may be very difficult. You expect that you're going to have to stay in shape. You can't just sit around and eat donuts all day long. Amen? You expect that you are going to have to be prepared for whatever they tell you to do, whatever it is. And I know some of you have been told to do some pretty awful things. So you expect these things. You expect to sacrifice your time. You expect to leave your family. You expect to leave all of your belongings. You expect to move in with a bunch of people that you don't know and live in close quarters with them while you go through this grueling training. And then when you're done with training, you expect them to hand you some kind of weapon and for you to know how to use it. This is the suffering that Paul is calling Timothy to do. He's saying, be ready to sacrifice, Timothy. Be ready to sacrifice even your life. 
Now, Paul's being very clear here because he doesn't want Timothy to come into this with, with low expectations. He doesn't want Timothy to shy away from this. He wants to be clear of what Timothy would have a complete understanding of what he's signing up for. His third to-do is to suffer, to endure hardship. Now, he doesn't just leave him there with that to endure hardship. He gives him some things to avoid. He gives him a couple of don'ts. He says, don't get tangled up in civilian pursuits. This is in verse 4. Now, in that culture, when they heard this phrase, tangled up, it would have evoked an image in their mind. They would have seen a warrior who had all of his weapons on him and was in, about to engage in battle, but the weapons were caught up in his robes. He can't get the weapons out. He's distracted. He's consumed. He's afraid. He's got to get ready. And he's so frantic that, that he keeps on working against himself and, and pushing against the road, but he can't deploy his weapons. He can't do what he's trained to do. His eyes are off the battle. He's totally distracted. So we could look at this, and, and you know, the, the strict interpretation is uh, the civilian affairs could be the affairs of the world, okay? But what Paul's really talking about here are things that are not pertinent to the army, things that are not pertinent to the battle. Paul's talking about God's army and avoiding things that are not in harmony with what God's army is called to do. What is God's army called to do? Thank you. That's somebody who was here in the first service. God's army is called to be messengers of the gospel, brothers and sisters. God's army is called to be messengers of the gospel. It's the only reason the church is here. We've talked about this a number of times. There's no reason on earth for the church to exist. We're not here to change legislation. We're not here to change the government. We're not here, we're not here to have an impact on the culture. We're not here to better ourselves. We're not here to satisfy ourselves. We are here to be ambassadors of the love of Christ. The church's mission on, on earth. So Timothy may be getting a little bit of a hint here that maybe this battle isn't going to be what he thought it was. Maybe this battle is not going to be waged according to conventional earthly warfare. That there might be a supernatural element to what he's being called to do. That there might be a heavenly element to what he's called to do. So the first don't is don't get caught up in things not pertinent to the good news of Jesus Christ, not pertinent to the gospel. And the second don't comes from another metaphor, only this time it's in the area of sports. He says, don't play outside the rules. He said, if you're an athlete, you've been trained to do something. You've been trained to compete a certain way. There are guidelines on how you compete. Uh, there, are, there are parameters that you have to function in. There's a discipline that you have. Don't work outside of those rules. Play according to the rules. Do what you're told to do. Fight according to the rules of engagement that are set by the sport that you're involved in. Train the way the manual tells you to train. Listen to the coach. Discipline yourself to do everything that the coach tells you to do. And if you do, then there will be victory. If you don't, you're going to lose. Now, Paul, Paul likes this metaphor of the athlete almost as much as he likes the metaphor of the soldier. So he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, and Timothy would have been familiar with this, 
Every athlete exercises, listen to this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Now he's talking about earthly athletes exercise self-control and how they function in their body, how they feed themselves, how they, how they condition themselves. Uh, but, and we're similar to that. They're working for an earthly reward, a trophy, a hat, a, a, a crown, uh, a plaque to hang on their wall. But we, in God's army, are working for a heavenly reward, an imperishable reward, an eternal reward. So Paul's third to-do is to share in the suffering, but to avoid getting distracted and to play by the guidelines that we've been given. Now, he shows another, he uses another metaphor to show Timothy the fourth to do, and this one is to work hard like a farmer. Now, we probably get that. I'm sure a lot of you people know somebody who owns a farm, but this was an agrarian culture. They lived and died by what the farmers did with their livestock, with their crops. So they would have understood immediately when he says work hard like a farmer, he would, he, he, they would understand him to say, look, this is going to be from the moment you get up until the moment you go to bed. There's not going to be any break. There's not going to be any vacation. Somebody's got to milk the cows. Somebody's got to plant the seeds. Somebody's got to harvest. Somebody's got to cultivate, watering, weeding, all that. It's a constant job. It is constantly before you. Work hard like a farmer works, and for your hard work, you get to share in the harvest. Now, this has a a, an eschatological application, an end times ap application, but it has a practical application as well. So uh, we are all to work hard. We're all part of, of God's preparation for the harvest. So we will all be able to participate in those rewards. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will get our rewards in the end times. But remember, Paul's talking to Timothy, and Timothy's had some problems. Timothy's run into a little bit of pressure. It keeps on popping up in Paul's letter. Maybe somebody's criticized him. Maybe some people in the church have joined against him. He's a young guy. Maybe they've criticized him because of his youth. Uh, a number of things may have happened, and a lot of biblical scholars think that there were people in the church that accused Timothy of taking pay when he shouldn't be paid. And so Paul says, no, no, if you're going to do the work of a farmer, you should be paid like a farmer. Later on, Peter will cite Luke and the book of Deuteronomy, when he says a workman is worthy of his wages, don't muzzle an oxen, oxen while he's threshing. So he's telling Timothy, if you're going to devote your life to this, if this is what you're going to do, uh, then you should be paid for it, and you shouldn't be shy about it. You should be part of the harvest that's immediately before you. So that takes us to Paul's fifth to-do. This is in verse 7. Paul says in 2.7, Think over what I say. Now, this is not Paul saying, well, Timothy, think about it. You know, roll it over a couple times, do the pros and the cons, and get back to me with whatever you decide. I hope you decide to take the job, Timothy. This, this is not Paul saying, just, just consider this and let me know what you want to do. This is Paul saying, ponder this very carefully. Put this before you. A strict interpretation would be, keep this ever before yourself. Be immersed in this. Let, this. let this permeate everything you do. 
Paul is telling them, be diligent to do the do's and be diligent to avoid the don'ts. He said, but listen carefully to everything I said and apply it to your life. Apply it to your ministry. Keep these things before you make them a priority. And if you do, there's a promise that goes along with this. Listen to this promise. If he's diligent to do this, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What a promise. What a promise. Have you ever been in a part where you've said, I don't know God's will for this. I'm praying. I'm seeking God's will. I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't understand this. I'm praying for illumination. I'm praying for revelation. Paul is saying, you're not going to have to struggle with that if you stick to the do's and avoid the don'ts. You'll have the understanding you need. Now, it doesn't mean that Timothy's going to understand everything, but it does mean that Timothy will have a very clear grip on everything that is pertinent to what Timothy's called to do. He never has to walk in doubt. He never has to make a guess as to what to do. He can walk in the confidence that he's doing God's will and empowered by him, even if things begin to fall apart for him. Same confidence Paul had. It's an incredible promise. He said, do the do's. Be strengthened in Christ and in his grace. Count your blessings. Appropriate the grace and, and dispense it. Entrust, teach, disciple those around you. Suffer, train, endure hardship like a soldier for Christ. Work hard, share in the harvest, and ponder, think about it, meditate it, keep it ever before you, immerse yourself in it, and you will understand. Now, Paul's not pretending that this isn't hard. He knew the battle would be tough. He knew the battle that was raging outside the church, the oppression that was coming for the church, he knew that was going to be hard, but Paul knew something else as well. He knew that the real battle... The real battle was inside. And you know how we know that Paul knew that? Paul had gone through it himself, hadn't he? Wretched man that I am. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Paul knew that the real battle, the toughest battle, was going to be inside. Those things that scared Timothy. Those things that caused him to doubt. Those things that made him feel inferior. Those things that made him feel like he just couldn't do the job. He knew that would be the tough battle for Timothy. And he also knew that by the time Timothy got this letter, he might not even be engaged in the battle. It might, just, it might still be over the horizon. Timothy may be hearing faint rumblings. There may be flashes on the horizon and, and the ground shaking a little bit beneath him. So it might not be real to Timothy yet. So Paul enumerates the whys and the wherefores of why he should do the do's and not do the don'ts. He explains why and how Timothy can fight this battle. He wants Timothy to remember. Another word that means more than simply to remember. But he wants Timothy to remember and to respond appropriately. And uh, th this, is, this is a perfect verb. It, the action goes on and on and on. He wants Timothy to constantly remember, to constantly be responding to two simple truths. He wants Timothy to live his life in response to two truths. Number one, Christ is risen. 
Christ is risen from the dead, resurrected from the tomb, ascended on high, sits in the right hand of the Father. Number one, Christ is risen. Number two, the word of God is not bound. Listen to this. The word of God is not bound. He says in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has been talking about Christ Jesus all along, hasn't he? He's been talking about the office and the person. The office was important and then the person was secondary. Now he says Jesus Christ. He says, remember the personal relationship you have with your Lord and Savior. Remember, he's not just an office, he's a person. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's where all the power is. It's where all the promises are. It's where your strength will come from. His resurrection, not anything you do, but everything that he's done. The offspring of David. Remember the genealogy. Remember we have a record of this. Remember that he's not a concept. He's a man, fully man, fully God. We can't figure it out, but it's true. Remember who he is as preached in my gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. He said, look at me. Everybody thinks I've done something wrong. Everybody thinks I'm a criminal. But you know what? I've been in jail more than once. And every time they throw me in jail, I see it as an opportunity to advance the gospel. The guards in the jails that I've been to are getting saved. I've been able to witness to the proconsul, to the governor, to the king. And if they put me in front of Nero, I'm going to witness to him too. Because I see everything that God puts me through as an opportunity to advance the gospel. I see every situation in my life as an opportunity to put God on display. And to be a vessel of that grace and mercy that I have received so readily. said, I may be bound, I may be in prison, but the word of God is not bound. Matter of fact, the more men try to imprison me, the more they free the word of God. They throw me in prison with their guards and their soldiers and their reprobates. And you know what I do? I witness to them. And we'll change the Roman Empire from the inside out. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church that's saved. He's talking about the church that is going to be saved. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's all about the gospel. He's saying, this saying is trustworthy. How do we do this? If we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we've died to ourselves, if we've surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ, if he has been crucified, dead, and buried, and rise up, we're in union with Christ while we're alive as well. They can't do anything to take that away from us. We die with him, we live with him. And he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we go through these things that we're being called to do, then there's a crown for us. There's a throne for us to sit on. We're one with him. He's one with the Father. That makes us all one with each other. We're an invincible army. Nothing can stop us. If we deny him, he also will deny us. The reality of the gospel, you reject Jesus Christ, then you'll be rejected in the end as well. But there's hope for those of us that have not rejected him. 
but maybe don't do everything right. Maybe we drop the ball every now and then. Maybe we stumble. Maybe we're not faithful. Maybe we don't always be, become those vessels of grace and mercy that we're called to do. He says if, he, if we're faithless, he will remain faithful. Why? Because it's his character and nature. He can't deny himself. He can't go against who he is. He remains faithful. So Timothy's got his marching orders, doesn't he? This is how we're going to do this. The do's and don'ts. Be strengthened in the grace in Jesus Christ. And trust, teach, disciple. Suffer and endure the way a soldier would suffer and endure. Work hard and think. Appropriate these truths for your lives. Live in them. Live Immerse yourself in the gospel. Don't just tell the gospel to people. Be an example of the gospel. Show them what transformation looks like. And remember, remember the whys and wherefores. Christ is risen. We're not just his soldiers, but we are his witnesses. We are his messengers. We are ambassadors of his love. And if you're worried about the church... If you're worried something's going to happen, that the church is going to fail, that the government's going to do this or that, or somebody's going to rise up and burn all the Bibles and everything, the Word of God is not bound. Let them burn the Bibles. It'll set the Word free. It's incredible marching orders, incredible rules of engagement. There are marching orders. Timothy then... Timothy now. And our fight, our fight is not a worldly battle. Our fight will not be waged the way the world would fight. Our fight is a heavenly one. And everything in our battle needs to be characterized by who the Lord is, by His love, by His mercy, by His grace, by the fruits of His Spirit. Our fight has to be dipped in grace. Has to be immersed in love. I told you about the clients. You know, their, their story is moving. I'd like to say it's inspirational, but it's just moving. And it would be very easy, it would be very easy for us to get upset over that. Amen. I, I want you to go home this afternoon and look them up. The Kleins and Sweet Cakes. And I, I spent a lot of time last week not just looking at the articles, but I'm read the comments. And I got to tell you something. They're heartbreaking on a number of levels because so much hate and venom has been expressed towards the Kleins. It, it almost hurts to read them. Blasphemy, uh, accusations, but I've got to tell you something, what grieves me even more is how the church responded. Because as much hate and venom as came from those accusers rose up in the church as well. The things that the people in the church said were breathtaking. Accusation. Oh, you're going to burn. You're evil. You know, God's going to get you, somebody said. 
What kind of gospel is God's going to get you because you're evil? Let me tell you something. Last night, I, I read a couple hundred of those. There are thousands of those types of comments out there. I read a couple hundred of them. Nobody's mind got changed. No transformation took place. Nobody on the other side went, oh, I didn't realize what a sinner I was, I'll repent. Nobody in support of the client said, oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to love you and share the gospel. I'm sorry I said that nasty thing. You see, that's what happens when we start fighting the battles the way the world fights the battles. The ground on us is shaking. There are flashes on the horizon. We're already in a war. The question is, how will you fight? The question is, how will you fight? What is our goal in this war? We have the greatest weapon that the world has ever seen and that all of creation will ever see, brothers and sisters. We have a weapon, if you want to call it that, that will turn a man and a woman inside out and will change them. We have a weapon that will transform them from people that are lost to people that are found. We have a weapon that will cleanse them. We have a weapon that will set them free. We have a weapon that will turn them from being dead people into people that will live for eternity. It's called the gospel. Don't let it get tangled up in your robes. Don't take your eyes off the battle. Don't become consumed with matters that are not pertinent to what we've been called to do. It's not easy. It's not easy. But the bigger battle is not out there, brothers and sisters. It's in here. It's in here. And the Holy Spirit is all about transforming that molding and shaping us into vessels of grace and mercy so that we might be a reflection of the grace and mercy that we've received. Let's be ambassadors of Christ's love, messengers of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace we receive. We thank you for this incredible gift that we've been given. We pray, Lord, that we might keep our eyes on the prize. Lord, we pray that by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that we would not act according to our flesh but according to your Spirit, Father. And you would show us the balance that we need of love and mercy and grace and standing fast. We pray, Father, that as we immerse ourselves in these do's and avoid these don'ts, that we would function with the understanding that you promise us. In Jesus' name.